Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell. Back to throw versus Danny. Pete is tight end. And Raja Bell. Bell has done three and three. 22 to Raja. It's all the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. All right. Well, welcome back to another episode of Off the Bench. Um, we got a bunch of stuff to talk about today. I, I was out yesterday. We have, uh, obviously Saquon Barkley, the severity of that injury. Um, role acceptance, which is something I, you know, we gotta be important. Yeah, very important. Um, player media relationships, which I think we both have different perspectives on. Uh, but first, and I was supposed to get to the Red Sox, but I got stung by a damn bee this morning at the gas station. You ever, you ever been stung by a bee? I haven't. Why are you getting gas at six in the morning? Because it's on the, it's on my like right side. So when I'm coming to work, it's like right there and I'm so lazy and I hate traffic that I have to you cross the swollen. Was it in, like your left ears? I look like it? Hitch. You, I feel like I look like Hitch right now. I feel like. <laughs> Anyway, Hold man. on, is Eva Mendez here? <laughs> hello, hello? Um, so let's talk about the Red Sox, though, because uh, they're on, like, a historic pace. Like, they're the best team in baseball right now. Um, I, how are they doing it? Like, from a front office perspective, how are, how are they getting this done? What have they done? The only thing they do well is they pitch, they hit, oh, that's it. they play defense, they're clutch, yeah. they've got a good clubhouse. That's it. There's Hanley Ramirez. <laughs> and for whatever reason, every single night, they don't lose. Yeah, well. Other than that, they don't do anything right. <laughs> they win during the day. They win at night. They win close games. So I look at this division and I think about the Red Sox. Right now, if I'm in the front office, I'm thinking about October. Right. Because I've got the AL East. I feel good about that. I don't have to play the one game. But I'm thinking, i got to get through Houston. i got to get through the Yankees, maybe. I got some work to do. So in baseball, because in basketball front office right now, we'd be looking at we'd be looking at rest. Like in, in all honesty, if we've, we've already got that in the bag, we're starting to we're starting to set it up for June. But now we got to start shutting guys down. And what, what's the baseball? Yeah, we don't do that. Equivalent. Right. You're Here's right. why. Baseball is a total game of routine. And in 2003, when the Marlins won the World Series, we beat the Giants in the first round. The Giants had the best record in baseball. They didn't have anything going on competitively in September. They were resting their guys. Come playoff time, they couldn't just turn it on. Yeah. So I think the Red Sox have to be careful about that because they're not going to be playing for anything. I think they're going to have home field advantage the entire playoffs, including the World Series. So they can't, they're going to rest sporadically, maybe bets here or there, but you want your guys still playing five days a week. How how do how are they remembered if they don't win the World Series this year? Nothing. You're not remembered at all. Period. Who won the World Series last year? Oh, you're asking the wrong. You're asking the wrong. No one remembers the losers, right? right? You just don't. So for me, I think about the Astros. The Astros beat the Dodgers. It went to a game seven. Who remembers the Dodgers? They didn't make it. The Yankees lost game seven of the ALCS. Who remembers that? So for me, the Red Sox to do it, they've got to win it all. So uh, Mookie Betts, um, the new leader in Boston, you see the face of Boston. I mean, they've got a bunch of young talent there. Is JD Martinez like what? Who? JD Martinez leading MLB. He was a throwaway in free agency. No one would sign him. He now has thirty-seven home runs. It shows you that we in the front office we don't know everything. Some would say we know nothing. Mookie Betts is the best player on that team. To me, he's the MVP. What? And I think about what the Red Sox are doing this year. What their record is. They're going. By the way. For the most wins in history, not just this season, right. in the history of baseball. So the most wins in the regular seasons, 116, the 2001 Mariners. They're they're sitting at what 85 right now with 42 games left. It's and unbelievable. Yeah, that's pretty remarkable. So let's let's switch gears. We'll talk about a team that's struggling since the trade deadline, and you you called it. 
Um, you had no problem with telling me that before we came I on the air. I like it. <laughs> uh, Manny Machado, the Dodgers obviously struggling. Um, what do they look like? Do you, th- do you still consider them a contender uh, in the National League? Well, they're definitely a contender. I just don't think that they did the right thing at the deadline. They needed more pitching. Right. And I didn't expect the Jansen issue with his irregular heartbeat, and he's going to be out a month in that. The second surgery apparently now, right? I didn't realize he was actually heart surgery. Yeah. I think they just – I actually don't know if it's surgery. I think they just sort of – Take a zapper. Oh, they, yeah. Zap your heart. Like one of those things they put in your backyard for like it's the. It's a fib. Uh, Haven't yeah. you ever had one of those? Like No, I have not. No. Like they just <laughs> fib you back. Knock on wood. What are you talking I've about? I had that after a few losses. Right. I needed to get to fib. <laughs> to me, the Dodgers, it's an, that division's amazing. The Diamondbacks right now are a game up. The Rockies are hot. The Dodgers are not. Position player acquisitions at the deadline do not help the way pitching acquisitions do. We talked about it on the queue. The Dodgers were all excited. Everybody was writing about it. Every columnist, every pundit, this is great. They got Machado. Guess what? It's just not enough. So since Manny got to the Dodgers specifically, right, in 23 games, he's got a 264 batting average uh, compared to 315 uh, with the Orioles. He's got two homers, 24 with the Orioles, uh, five RBIs, 65 with the Orioles. So let me let me ask you this question because I've been traded, right? You have traded people. So I know what it's like for a player to try to find his rhythm in a new city, in a new clubhouse, in a new lineup. What's it like for a club introducing someone who may have the personality? Mine wasn't a small personality. It wasn't? Well, no, go figure. Came in like a bat out of hell. But what's the balance there from you guys' perspective when you're dealing with your coaches and your managers and trying to incorporate a new personality? I think it's different in, in basketball where you're going into a system and you have to adjust to the system of that coach and of that team. In football, it's a scheme. In baseball, you're going into the lineup. See the ball, hit the ball, catch the ball. It's not as big an issue, believe it or not, chemistry in the clubhouse on and off the field in baseball. What strikes me about Machado is he was doing all that for a team that's going to lose a hundo, maybe even a buck ten. Then he goes to a team in L.A. They call it Manny Wood 2. Maybe the pressure hurt him. Maybe he's not as good as he thinks under pressure. He's been great for a bad team. So I think about that a lot. I think about his impending free agency, and I think about the fact that he's done so poorly since the trade. Is that hurting him? Yeah. Well, he can be helped if they make the playoffs and he shines in the playoffs. He'll be fine. But he has had a rough, rough go, and so is the team. What happens to his stock if they don't make the playoffs? I I mean, is he he that good of a player where it's not – the NBA has guys where – you don't make the playoffs, David. It doesn't matter. We we kind of know who you are. You're a max guy, right. which I don't agree with because I think if you're There's really so a max, max guy, now it drives me. Well, if you're a goddamn max guy, then I put you on a team. You get him to the playoffs, right. in my opinion. Uh, but we have that in the NBA. What does that do to him? Uh, I think it could cost him twenty to thirty million notionally over the term of the contract. Not a huge deal, but again, I still have Harper way above Machado. I got gotcha. you. All right, let's keep it moving. Read and react, all right? So Aaron Rodgers, he doubled down on the comments after he called out his young receivers uh, a week or so ago. He says, I hope we're not that soft. I hope we can hear comments or read comments and not get offended by things. It's a professional environment. It's not a personal environment. If Is this the preseason in the NFL? The preseason. I, you know, Aaron, calm down, right? <laughs> Just play the game. Try not to get hurt. Get into the regular season. I don't like players calling out other players. I prefer that to happen in the clubhouse quietly. Publicly, I want management calling out players. I don't want it done uh, with players and players. I understand what Aaron Rodgers is doing. He thinks he's motivating. I just think he's bored during preseason. Yeah, I. you know, I, you. that was put very well because 
I would much rather that come from a coach than a player. But I do understand the people that say, hey, look, it's Aaron Rodgers. You know, he's the captain of the ship. He has to do that. I'm cool with that. But the only thing I would caution, and I said it last week when he did it, that's not your character, right? You usually don't do that. You don't give people a whole lot. When you start to do that, you have to be very selective. That can't be something that becomes an every week thing we're in here talking about Aaron Rodgers blasting his teammates via Tune the media. Out. You get tuned out immediately. I don't care who you are. I don't care how, no what type of cannon you have on your shoulder. Like, that starts to wear thin with people because we're all grown men and you're blasting me uh, through the media. Ever had a coach who you tuned out? Have I? What? <laughs> what do you, what do you know? That's how we make managerial changes. When we see the players reacting like this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what would, what would you yeah. do? What would you do if, if you were like in a basketball huddle, let's say, right? And like there were five seconds left in a game and there was a coach fumbling around like for his whiteboard and all of the other players were looking around like, can you believe this? Like, what would you be saying if That's you were? It. If I, 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 that didn't happen to me, management. by the way. Like it didn't happen. Are you the guy rolling his eyes on the bench like Scotty Pippen? No, I was the guy standing Come on, there like, man. I can't believe this is happening right the now. The worst play ever. Right. Call my number. <laughs> all right. Giants coach Pat Shermer, um, on Saquon Barkley's tweaked hamstring, he says, you know, we'll be smart with him. Uh, he left with his his leg wrapped during practice. He had five carries uh, for 43 yards in his preseason debut. How do you manage a young kid who needs the work, right, needs to be kind of indoctrinated and kind of feel his way through a training camp? It's a big part of uh, your experience That's that first year. That's story right now. Yeah, go ahead. One go. quote that we would not let our managers say is this. Hey, we're going to be smart with him. Ugh. Because what that means is we've been dumb with him right. <laughs> every other time. Right? It's like, to be honest. Right. That means you've been lying the whole time. Correct. Don't say we're going to be smart. You should always be smart with your players. A tweaked hamstring, in my experience, hamstring tweaks stink. Yeah. Because they can linger. And you don't want to be the cranberries with the hamstring during the NFL season. Any kind of tweak. Is, that was a linger reference. I see. Catch it. You have to let it linger. You have to. I like you have it. To. I was slow on the uptake, Dude, but we got it. So slow. Um, it's early. <laughs> uh, hamstrings, groins, calves, anything with that tweak, that mild strain. Got to uh, rest it. You have to rest it because, I mean, there's just nothing to be gained by the preseason work except and except, as you said it, for a rook, like – the mental reps are critical. It doesn't really matter if you're an eight-year vet. Like, I can go without that work. It's not a physical thing. So the be smart thing, I, I got it. But what you need to do with Saquon is he can't miss any of what's going on on the field, any of that mental work. So his, his rehab, um, his treatment, and they do a really good job of this now, all pre, pre-practice, post-practice. Right. During practice, it might be different from baseball, but you need him knowing those blocking schemes. You need him knowing exactly what's going on. So he's taking these mental reps while he can't take the I'd redshirt him. I'd put him in practice. I'd have him do the reps in practice. I don't want him getting hit. Yeah. I don't want him doing the thing with hamstrings is the start and stop. Yep. And running backs have to do that. They're cutting different directions. They're taking the play, looking left, right through the two hole. I, I don't want him doing that because I need him for the regular season. It's an important year for the Giants. Very important. Yeah, it is. And talking about, let's talk about another rook, um, and preseason. We've got Michael Porter Jr. after his second back surgery. Um, he could have been the first pick in last year's draft had he not been hurt. He wound up slipping to 14. He says, I don't have a date, but I'm hoping to be back for the beginning of the year. Got to heal up, but I feel great. And this is a second back surgery. Backs worry me. I always look at, look at guys with backs. Clayton Kershaw's had a back in baseball. Uh, it can be a problem. It doesn't linger. That's something that just, it, when it pops, yeah. it stays. 
And so when I think about him, he says he feels great. Well, he's just done with surgery. Of course he feels great. It's going to be hard for him to be back for the beginning of the year, in my opinion. Yeah, this is an interesting one because... 19 years old, right? Kevin Love, yeah, 19. Um, he took all last year off except for three games, which I thought was... Was, was prudent because if you knew there was a back issue, get ahead of that before you become a pro. Still slipped. Um, yeah, he, he slipped, but uh, man, what a value I think Denver got at 14. You throw him in a lineup that was competing for the playoffs. You've got Nikola Jokic, you got, uh, the kid Murray, you've got Paul Millsap, you've got Will Barton. There's a lot of cool stuff. I, they signed IT, um, Isaiah Thomas. There's a lot of good stuff there. Michael Porter has to be cautioned about what a back can mean to you. Like at 19, it's hard to know what any injury can the do NBA, to you. If your back's hurting, can you do But Kevin Love has a notoriously bad back. He has a bad they just signed him for another $100 million. He's made of glass. So they, he is made of glass. Kevin Love, let's not Unbreakable. Kevin, no, breakable. But <laughs> totally breakable. He's the anti-Samuel Jackson. No, but wait, correct. Um, he is Samuel Jackson. That's what I'm saying. He's Mr. Glass. <laughs> I'm with you. Uh, but no, I, I look, Michael Porter, you bring him along. Super slow. And if I'm Denver, I'm aiming for right around the trade deadline. Like, I might roll him out. Not the trade deadline. Forgive me. All-star break. Okay. I'm going to roll him out a few games before all-star break. See what it looks like. Knowing that I have all-star break to kind of recalibrate, like figure out if we're going to use him down the stretch. A lot of it will depend on where they are in the playoff race if you don't want to throw a, a lineup at a, at a whack. But this is a huge value pick if they can get him right, if they can get him healthy. We just don't know his work ethic. He's, he's 19, he's a kid, and kids feel invincible in general. I've noticed when the younger guys get hurt, they don't work as hard to come back as the older guys. Right. Because as you get older, like we are, you realize that you actually have to do rehab, yeah. physical therapy. When you're 19, you hurt your back. You think, oh, that's just a Saturday night party. That's right. So it's going to be interesting what he does. Uh, so let's go from one bad back to another. We got Jim Furyk. This is on Tiger's chances of being picked for the Ryder Cup. Jim Furyk's the captain. He says he's playing very well. I think there's a lot of folks out there who probably think he can help us. I realize Tiger's a story. I realize he's playing very well, and I'm excited to see that. Is the Ryder Cup being televised? I'm just curious. Of course he's a story. He's going to be on the team. I'm actually going to Paris to watch the Ryder Cup. Yeah, that's fantastic. Because of Tiger Woods. Can you tell the story about why you're going to Paris? This isn't just because you want to go see the Ryder Cup. No, not at all, actually. Right. Can you imagine watching a golf tournament in person? I guess if there's alcohol. I love okay. golf. What are you talking about? I love are you golf throwing shade at golf? I'm throwing shade at watching golf. I go on a different trip every year with the same three guys. Come across We're part the of the table. Cultural Exchange Club. If you come across this table, the show's over. You're going to crush me. It's called the Cultural Exchange Club. We go to a different sporting event every single year. Yeah. We've been to the Sumo Wrestling Championships, the Melbourne Cup in Australia. We just go for a weekend. We're going to Paris to see the Ryder Cup. We went to see cr the World Curling Championships World in Zurich last Curling. year. That's where they're sweeping the, the ice. God bless you awesome. guys. So um, you're going to see Tiger Woods on that team. For sure. Is it my imagination? So there are eight automatic spots. Uh, they already belong to Brooks Kepka, Dustin Johnson, Justin Thomas, Patrick Reed, Bubba Watson, Jordan Spieth, Ricky Fowler, and Webb Simpson. But in this, like, quote, does it sound like Jim Furyk isn't, like, really... It sounds like there's some reluctancy to have Tiger. Is that me? Is that my, like, Tiger Homer card coming out? Yeah, I think it's just him trying to be coy. Okay. Because I don't think he wants to upset, like, a Phil Mickelson who he's not going to invite because he's just been so stinky. Struggling lately. Well, yeah. unless you like having a plus in front of your score, right? <laughs> which never, never good which in golf. for me is always never definite. Good. All right. Sure thing. Last one. Let's Cubs. Uh, walk off, grand slam, pinch hit home run. You've Loved got it. David Bodie. 
Um, and he has to come out and apologize because apparently the Nationals with, were offended. Their, their delicate sensibilities. I didn't even realize I did it until I saw it on the replay. I meant no disrespect by any means. It was in the heat of the moment. Like, why are we apologizing for a bat flip on a pinch hit walk off Grand Slam, David Sampson? Please I took the social this. media for this because I was so upset by it. This is when you do the bat flip. When you do your job. Boom! That is a walk off Grand Slam down three nothing in the ninth inning with two outs. If you're not going to flip a bat and celebrate your competency there, then when are you going to celebrate? Let's not make this the NFL, the no fun league, please. Can we please have fun in baseball? Seriously, there, and there's, look, I've, the, the, the jury's already out on that. And so what I'm suggesting, cause we used to do this Rajah's rule segment is like, you know how boogie boards have like that, like tethering Ring. strap. Like just go ahead and put that on a batter's wrist so we can't have any bat flips. Then nobody's going to be offended. We won't get in any fights. Like we'll just make it a real no fun thing. We'll just strap it to your wrist. Would I, would I de-strap it to run to first or am I running to first dragging the bat like, like Shawshank Redemption dragging that through the, it'll be like this cord here, right? So like if you yank it hard enough, it'll just dislodge from the bat and you can like be about a jet ski. Correct. Okay, Correct. so you have to have the off. strength to dislodge while running to first. Correct. Correct. Otherwise, like, it, yeah, I got to. I'm trying to think if I've ever heard a worse idea. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm actually. Well, thinking. how about this one? We're leaving. All right. So coming up next, we got Mello possibly coming off the bench in Houston. Um, is it good for our brand? Uh, is it good for the Rockets? That's next on Off the Bench uh, with Bell and Canel or Canel and Bell or David Sampson. <laughs> I mentioned it before, but I'm going to just tell you, I need things around me just like this wall. You probably know, you probably ask yourself, like, why this wall is just so basic? But it never changed on me. It's the same wall every single day. I like that. And I need things, people around me. Who do you like this wall? Who do you think Cam News? Who do you think he's talking about in that clip? I can't it's, stop it's, looking at the ascot. That you like the ascot. Like he's, yeah, he's fashion forward dude, but this is, I'm obviously showing, throwing shade at Kelvin Benjamin. Um, which is kind of what I thought when they had this beef was that at one point they were boys and then Kelvin came out and threw Cam directly under the bus. Um, which makes it even worse, right? Like when you're getting thrown under the bus by a guy who you thought was your friend, uh, that, that really, why keep that really going? Hurts. What's the upside of that? I, no, I hear you, and that's that's why Cam gets a yeah, lot of man. yeah. It's yeah. enough. Yeah, Danny said it last week. He didn't even like that Cam went on the field and, and wanted Still to like confront it. it. No, well, there's cameras everywhere. You would side with him. All right, let's keep <laughs> it moving. Let's let's go to you have to see it. This is cool for my man Gordon Hayward. Oh, the one leg uh, drive by the rip and go, one leg, two hands. That's cool to see because typically, um, not only like from a rehab perspective, is it hard to get your pop back after you've had an, a leg injury like that, a lower extremity, like really like dislocated and broken leg injury, the, the elevation, but trusting it, like, you know, I don't know, it would be like the equivalent of Giancarlo Stanton standing in the box again, right? It's not the swing, it's whether you're going to start flinching when you see the ball coming at you. Um, How important is it for that in practice, right? Your first time hops, right? When you've had the lower extremity issue, the first time landing. First time, oh, huge. Right. And saying to yourself, oh, my God, my leg's still, like, it's, is it still there? So that's good for Gordon. I, I texted him a couple Probably about a month ago now, just seeing how he was doing, and he was saying that it's like it's grueling, it's tedious work, but it it, it, it was going well and obvious. Showing off that you have his number in your phone. No, Gordon's my dude, dude. Uh, Gordon, dude, yeah, he's my guy. He was my rookie, um, and we spent a lot of time together. And you know, his situation in Utah was one where I felt like 
as long as they had that old regime in place, he wasn't going to get done what I think he's capable of getting done. Utah's come a yeah, long way. They flipped the whole thing. But he's out of there now. And he, I, I think Gordon and that, that Celtics team could vie for championships in the next couple of years. So. We're really good without him. Really good. Don't do that. I'm just telling you. Don't do that. All right. So, well, you know who Gordon Hayward will not have to face up against potentially in a starting lineup this year? Where are you headed with this? All right. There's the reports from Woj that Melo will potentially come off the bench, uh, and he'll be fine with that role. And this is Mike D'Antoni's quote about the situation. He says, And I think now things have changed and everybody is playing the same way. I think it's a lot better fit, and I think we have a really good chance to be really good. What else is he going to say? The floor is yours. What's he going to say? Carmelo Anthony, to me, is a straight loser on the field. I don't I don't know him. That's David Sampson, S-A-M-S-O-N. I'm not going to comment off the field. R-A-J-A. <laughs> but what I am going to say is, I think the Rockets have been eliminated. Yeah. I think signing him, you saw it. Statistically, they have a smaller chance of winning the championship with... Oh, it was uh, reflected immediately. Immediately. Yeah. Do you know why? He signs with the Knicks. He's just not a winner with the Thunder, with the Knicks, with anyone, because he's selfish. He's talking about bench or starting. Mike D'Antoni has to do this. He's old and done. He is old. That's it. Um, I think the Rockets have a better chance of winning the title with you on the team. <laughs> right? That's how serious I am about this. Mike, you heard him. There it is. I'll be looking for the phone call. Um well look a cut, but the, the numbers the numbers statistically kind of bear that out. Uh obviously he's an older player, but let's see, two thousand and eighteen with the Thunder, he's down to sixteen point two points per game and forty percent field goal percentage. For the previous five years with the Knicks, he was at about twenty five points a game and about forty five percent. He took fifty three. shots a game. He did. He was a volume shooter. He's always so been a volume shooter. Anyone could score twenty five that way. Here but here's what I'll say to Mike's quote. And I, I don't disagree with you because I've always wondered whether Melo was completely invested in the winning process. Um at any cost, if you will. Now, I know Melo wants to win, but Melo wants to win with him having the ball and doing the volume scoring. That That's not wanting to win at any cost. Wanting to win at any cost is I accept this role, whatever you Part need of me to do. Correct. Um, here's the deal. A few years ago when Melo went to the Knicks, we were still kind of stuck between these two styles of ball, these older, more ISO-centric players, uh, more more uh, side screen and roll, if you will, uh, more putting the ball in the block and going to work. The game has evolved into this wide open spread. Everyone makes quick decisions. You attack downhill and you shoot a lot of threes. Melo wasn't ready for that then. Everybody still practiced in the summertime, hold the ball, go into my ISO routine. He was programmed to do that. We all were. Um, but I think now, because everyone plays wide open, Melo plays wide open all summer long, it's going to be an easier transition to fit the style that Mike wants to play. Whether that, yeah. whether that translates into wins or not. It won't. It won't. I have Melo as a dinosaur. So, and I also, I want the ball going through Harden in Houston. Oh, it is going to go through Harden. It's going to go through Harden and Chris Paul. Except without question. on the, on the floor. You really think Melo wants the ball going through him? You think at this point Melo is crazy enough to go there and demand the ball from James Harden? Right now, it's not going to end well. So, on Houston will not end well. I agree with you that they will take a step back this year. Um, not because of Melo. But because of the losses of Trevor Ariza and Luke and Mute, and I've been I've been yelling this from the rooftops. Melo does not address any of your defensive like uh, he doesn't play defense. He does. So this is their projected lineup right now. You got Chris Paul and James Harden, PJ Tucker, Ryan Anderson, and Clint Capella. Ryan Anderson plays no defense. PJ Tucker's a really good defender, but not that great offensively. And so Melo is a bit of an upgrade there, but plays zero defense. And then they've got no one else except Gerald Green, who's a wild card. I so like him. I like Gerald too, but he's a complimentary player for me. 
on a good team. A very good way to put He's that. He's a perfect player on a winning team. But I just I think that there this one year four million dollar whatever he signed two and a half million dollars. It's it's a name. And one of the things is you can't be seduced by names when you're running a team and putting a team together because it's in the past tense now and it's not going to help. Yeah, this was an interesting thing because when I was in the, when I was sitting there with the Cavs and I do this with David Griffin and Kobe Altman and those guys, it's it's are we looking at a player through a couple years ago that those lenses right like and so yeah. you know what I mean like because we're talking about like mellow but you're seeing the mellow from three years ago that you loved and this isn't the same mellow right now and that's the point you're making so let me ask you a question because we got some guys in the NBA getting pretty long in the tooth right as is mellow um, how much longer do you think these guys have played so if you go back to the 2008 NBA all-star game only five of those guys are still in the league right uh, Dirk Nowitzki is 40 he's the oldest and he's entering his 21st year how many more years do you think he's got I think this is it I, I thought last year was going to be it, but I think he wanted to set the record of the most years with one team in the history of sport, I think. So I, I think he's got one more year. I, it's tough to see superstars age. Yeah, it, it really it's is. a hard thing to manage, too, when you're running a team. Dirk's got the right personality for it, though. Self-deprecating, doesn't take himself too seriously. Um, you know, that can be a difficult thing for, for, for a manager or a coach is having that aging superstar who doesn't realize he's an aging Toughest superstar. Thing. Pat Riley always would say that managing an aging superstar is the hardest thing to do in sports, and I saw it in baseball. It's hard when bat speed slows down, pitch recognition slows down, when your muscles aren't firing. See, what happens is the brain doesn't slow down. Correct. So you think in basketball, you think you can thread the needle on that pass. You think you can get to that spot in football or in baseball get to that outside pitch, but your body is saying, can't do it anymore. Correct. I've been there, David. And not only do you think you can do it, but when you don't do it, it doesn't click right away that it's not happening for you. You start to rationalize, well, you know, I just said, like, Bad the timing's day. a little off. Yeah, you slept off on my neck. Correct. Everyone else sees it. Start. You see it. Like Kevin O'Connor sees it. Like general managers see it. But as that player, you know, you can't. Tough conversation it, to it have is. with the player. It's comfort. Because they don't get it. And that I feel terribly. And then in hindsight, they always see it. It's a tougher conversation for a player to have with the player's self, right? right? Because now I see it, but this is seven years removed, right? In the heat of the moment, it, it's almost impossible. All right, one more we'll touch on because we got long-winded there. But this one's interesting because we're in the Miami market, and he's talking about potentially going to China. And then yesterday or a couple of days ago said he's only going to play for the Heat if he plays. Does Dwayne Wade play this year? I think he will because I don't think he's ready to take the uniform off. And the Heat, he knows he doesn't have to carry the team to the playoffs. He's not going to be the number one option. I think he should come off the bench for the Heat. And I think he should have one lap around. Right. He's had that kind of Hall of Fame career. I don't want him going to China, even for the $25 bucks. Even though it's hard to turn down that amount of money, I get it. But China's really far away. Yeah. Like, it's it's a connecting flight even from Miami. <laughs> so, like, for me, I see him on the Heat one more year. But that's it. He should ride off into the sunset. I see him doing some Hollywood stuff with Gabrielle Union, assuming that Union stays in place. Got it. So you talked about his role changing. We talked about Melo's role uh, potentially changing. Let's talk about a baseball player whose roles recently changed. It's Felix Hernandez going to the bullpen. Amazing, right? Yeah. King Felix to the pen. King Felix. Now, why did he go to the pen? Because he was so bloody ineffective. I've never said bloody before like that. That's pretty good use of the word bloody. I feel like it I've is. I've never used it, but it seems he like just it. Did. I watched Snatch the other day. They were saying bloody a lot. Isn't it? The first 30 minutes, I couldn't understand one word of Snatch. My wife made me turn it off. I had to sneak get one back word, in and right? watch the rest of it. <laughs> <laughs> Waited for her to fall asleep. You did the fake sleep and watched That's the right. snatch. That's right. <laughs> I like it. So for me, King Felix, here's the thing. In a one-game wild card, they're going Paxton. They're not going to go King Felix. 
it's really the end of an era. He was so good, but it's been a couple years now where the slide's been downhill. In pitchers' arms, it's all about the number of times they can fire. And he has thrown just too many pitches in his career. Right. That it, he will not get it back. To, can he exist in the role? I mean, there's 398 career appearances. 398 of them were starts. Like, that's a massive... He's a starter. He was one of the greatest starters of all. No, but I mean, like, in his mind, is he built to be able to, like, handle this ro- this new role? It's different. I think for him, he wants to play a, a wild card game. He wants to make the playoffs. He's been on his, on the Mariners his whole career. I don't think he's ever been in the postseason. So he'll he'll make I this think work. He wants to make it work. And if he was had been in the postseason, it was many years ago. He is going to make it work because in the postseason, the bullpen can make the difference. So I'm looking at his preparation. I'm looking at his mental side. If I'm running the Mariners, that's what I'm really focused on. I want to see whether or not he can be helpful to me in the pen because they got to catch the athletics first. Right. Once they do, that pen's going to matter in a one game against the Yankees. I can picture Paxton starting, King Felix coming in, and that could be it for the New York Yankees. Okay, well, we'll see. And coming up next, uh, we'll get into the time that my mom, this Kobe, you didn't know that she did that, but she did. Uh, and you have to stay tuned to Off the Bench with Canel if you want to hear some summer reading from Seven Seconds or Less with Jack McCullum. That's all up next on Off the Bench with Samson and Bell. You like that? <laughs> I like right? Bell, Canel, and then maybe Samson. All right, well, welcome back to Off the Bench with Canel and Bell. Danny's going to kill me for like two I liked years. it. Well, so every Monday, uh, we have a segment. It's called, uh, what is it called? It's called Re- Reading with Raja, right? And so I wasn't here, like, yesterday, so we'll do it on a Tuesday if you, if you'll allow me some time. It's to... Monday somewhere. Okay. So, this is from a book called Seven Seconds of Left with Jack McCollum. Uh, he followed us around with the Phoenix Suns back in 06. He became a fixture in the locker room, so you kind of forgot he was there, allowing him to have this kind of great insight into what was going on. So, this is a quote. This was before game seven, uh, versus the Lakers. Raja returns from a one game suspension. The arena's full of signs, Raja rules, Kobe who, it's not Raja's fault that Kobe can't limbo. The good, the bad, and the ugly, accompanied by photos of, respectively, Nash, Bryant, and Phil Jackson. Behind the Suns bench, Bell is startled when he notices a few fans with cutouts of his face. Robert Sarver has purchased 12,000 extra clackers. It's bedlam. Game sevens, in general, are out of control. Love them. They are like <clears throat> game seven in Philadelphia when we played in the 2001 uh, playoffs. My buddies came down from Jersey and they had been camped out in the parking lot. The game was like at seven. Um, they had been camped out in the parking lot from like 10 o'clock in the morning. They were Rocky was blaring through the whole parking lot when you pulled in. There were so many fans that they were rocking my Escalade as I tried to pull in. Like I thought they were going to tip it over. Uh, people just lose their stuff. But this one in Phoenix, because of like the me and the Kobe situation, took on a whole nother like but also personal. The clackers. Feel. Well, the clackers are very important. That helps. Like clacking in general is is a very underrated like it's atmospheric. Yeah. Um. But this one because of the Kobe me angle. I mean, there was a level of of like just pure hate from our fans towards Kobe, which I really appreciated. Um. Because I generally got that in L.A. Every time I got gang signs thrown at me in L.A. one time, like a guy threatened like my family when we were on the streets. That's horrible. Yeah. Have you ever? I've just never used you and Kobe in a sentence before. You haven't? No. You're, so I'm, I'm fascinated by you're, this. You're so it's baseball, you, bro. Kobe thing. You're so baseball. Oh, I just thought Kobe was so good. Oh, no, I'm just. I mean, I, and he cannot come back. We're not. I let, it's now the Canel. Port. And port. <laughs> <laughs> Let's keep it moving. All right, so this is immediately after we win this series. Out in the hallway, um, decked out in a replica of our son's jersey, 
Denise Bell, God bless you, Ma. Denise Bell sees Bryant passing by en route to this post-game interview session. Kobe, she says, reprising Bryant's comments after game five, do you need a hug? Bryant glanced at her for a second, but kept on moving. So, backstory here. I love that. You know what, you don't know what happened, right? We got, we got into this huge beef, Kobe and I, like I, I clotheslined him, so on and so forth, and we were having this sparring session through the media. I watched that, by the you way. You watched it, and one of his famous quotes was, I don't even know this kid, maybe he wasn't hugged enough as a child. So this was my mom catching him, and she looked at him, and he, he didn't really know who she was, and she killed him with that, just as kind as can be. Do you What's need a better hug? than a mom? A mom has your back no matter what at all times. My mom would definitely fight Kobe for me. Of course she would. Let me tell a story about the USBL. I told one last last week on an episode. So we were in Atlantic City, New Jersey. Um, I've got my grandma and my great aunt in the stands because they love to gamble. They come down from Philly. So I go up for a dunk. Boom, dunk it. Kid kind of clips me as I'm hanging on the rim. I thought it was a cheap shot. So I wind up swinging back on the rim. And as as I'm coming down, he's under me again. So I kind of give him a little like kick, like, yo, back up. Let me come down. So when I come down, he rushes me, and I hit him with a jab. Boom. The next thing I know, the bench is, like, clear. The stand's clear. This is like a kind of high school, junior college type of gym, so the the stands are right on the court. So after about a minute in this, like, mosh pit, I turn around and I look because someone's on my back, but their back's on my back. It's my grandma and my great aunt. Trying to separate. In the middle. No, it's trying to separate. Throwing hands. They're trying to get in Throwing there. bags. Come on. They are already in there fighting. They're throwing me. chips. Throwing. That's one thing they wouldn't do. Hers They're potato gamblers. chips. No, no, no. Hers potato chips. Not regular chips. Listen, but yeah. They'll, they'll have your back at all time. They come up from a long line of like people who want to get down. My mom. In terms of fighting. In terms of like they're, they're ready to go if you right. want them to go. No uh, boogie. Yeah. All right. Last one, uh, last one, uh, Eddie House, locker room trash talk. I'm ignoring, um, the, the go on in my ear. House is also, uh, House is also the one able to get any, to get, <laughs> to get to an insult with or, maximum expedience. He looked, he looks at James Jones size 18 sneakers one day and said, how do you play basketball with them big ass skis on your feet? When Dial entered the locker room wearing a pair of retro short shorts, as Dial pointed out, they are not retro in Europe. House said, damn, Boris, you gotta pull your shoes up. And when Bell showed up in a strangely patterned brown jacket, tight fitting and zippered just below his waist, House took one look at him and said, damn, Rara, you look like a motherfucking <laughs> Where do you? Okay, I'm supposed to you? comment on that. Funny, I'm hearing yeah. in my ear, comment on that. I'm speechless. Um, yeah, Eddie House. I don't have skis on my feet. I don't even have canoes. You know who would be a good sparring partner kayaks. for you, like, uh, verbally? Eddie House. Would he? Yeah, he would be, man. He talks I could a go lot of shit. I could tell, but it, Eddie was like, I back it up with knowledge at least 60% of the time. Yeah, I don't know if Eddie has knowledge. He's more like 25%. Yeah, 25%. Yeah, 60% is a good number. Got him by 35. Because when you're talking that much shit, like you can't be like 75 no. plus. You got to no. be like the... Yeah, and by the way, the guys who say they're 75 plus are actually 20 and below. Fantastic. Oh, you know what Eddie House is doing now? Brick Lane? Nope. He's in the, he's in the broadcast world. Doing what? Yeah, he's out there at Fox, uh, Fox Sun and stuff like that. And so Bruce Bowen, you hear the Bruce Bowen story? Can you believe he got canned? Unreal. Clippers fired him. He was one of their TV game at analyst um and he was up for a renewal of his contract but he had these quotes about about Kawhi Leonard he said I think there's nothing but excuses going on first it was well I was misdiagnosed look here you got 18 million this year and you think that they're trying to rush you you didn't play for the most part of a full season this year and you're the go-to guy you're the franchise and you want to say that they didn't have your best interest at heart are you kidding me so obviously the Clippers hear that they're trying to land Kawhi next year Bruce Bowen doesn't get re-signed to me, it doesn't make sense. I want my 
color analysts and play-by-play guys. I want them to entertain the audience. Yeah. I want them to say what's on their mind. It's a very tough thing, though, because in baseball, you've got the color guys, the play-by-play. They're on the team plane. They're with you every day, 162 days. In the NBA, it's 81 times, 82 times. Right. And for me, I need to be very careful when I'm management because if I'm firing Bowen over that – then the next guy is going to be fired over the same type of comment. And before you know it, not just a homer, I'm sort of a plain vanilla broadcast. Yeah. That hurts ratings, and my ball club is worth money because of my network, because of my ratings. I want Bruce Bowen saying stuff. Guess what? Leonard's not coming to the Clippers unless they offer him more money than anyone else, which is how players sign unless you're LeBron. For me, Leonard, it was very this much chance. Right. So Bowen's gone. They gotta hire some new guy. They're not gonna get a quality guy because the guy will know he's coming in and he's gonna be muzzled. And you're looking at next year's free agent class? Yeah. Come on, man. Very slippery slope when you start setting that precedent if you're, if you're the Clippers. Like skis. It's like having skis on your feet. Uh, it is a hard transition though from player to media. Um, and this is what like the uh, CBS Sports NFL Network's Nate Burleson, uh, kind of discussed this and he said, it literally was a cringeworthy feeling when I had to criticize a guy, even when I knew the player was in the wrong. Um, I do face, well, I did face this difficulty when I first came out, right? Uh, because I was quite frankly trying to still play a little bit. And I was worried about if I said the wrong thing about, you know, a front office situation, if they would hear that clip and then shy away from maybe signing me if they had an open roster spot. Or, you know, if I said something bad about LeBron and I wind up, you know, signing a 10 day in Cleveland towards the end of the season, whether or not, you know, he'd hold that against me. And it, it, it even now, I'm much more. Still feel it? No, I don't. I mean, I do. Like, because you're always taught to do this job, you have to have an opinion. And I don't have a problem having my opinion. But there's always that guy in the back of my mind that's like, well, maybe what happens if like another front office wants, you know, you, you, you don't want to completely eviscerate someone, right? You can give your opinion without eviscerating. This is the way I felt about Bruce Bowen. While I wanted him to be very honest and forthright about the Kawhi situation, I felt like there was a level of, of personal, um, anger that he had having been an all-time great in San Antonio towards someone that had fallen out of favor in San Antonio. I thought it went beyond like giving insight into the situation. It became more personal. With I wonder me. whether you're reading into it because you're so close to the situation. Maybe. As an outsider, I'm looking at that and saying that's good reporting. I feel that way about Leonard. I was thinking about that yeah. last season. And for me, I don't mind – I don't, I don't want to go back into working for a team. I did it for 18 years. I'm happy to say whatever I want, but the difference is I was doing that when I was running a team also. Yeah. I was always saying what's on my mind because I respect the audience. I respect people because they want to hear from us on the inside. Right. Right. They don't want to just hear plain vanilla stuff. They can listen to other podcasts for that. When they're tuning in to the Bell and Canal, Canal yeah. and Bell. Yeah, and they, Samson. They want insight. No, I hear you. They want to really know what you're thinking and feeling. And if you play not to get hurt, you're going to get hurt. Nah, baby, you always. In media, you got to play not to get hurt. Play to win. Play to win. Uh, you know what else they tune in they're for? They're winning, man. They turn in to, to hear Hannah on Socially Relevant. <laughs> that was a great transition, right? Was, I bumbled Hannah's name. So but sweet. Hannah, over to you. That was great, Raj. I loved it. All right, guys. So over the weekend, the NBA celebrated hitting a major milestone on Instagram. They got 30 million followers. Now, I know that doesn't seem like a big deal in retrospect. Some of the most followed celebrities, Selena Gomez, she has 140 million followers. Dwayne The Rock Johnson has 112 million followers. But the NBA is significant, significantly ahead of all of its competitors. So it's also ahead of 
all the other major professional sports leagues on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. So if you look at some of the Instagram and Twitter followers here, the NFL has 11.7 million followers on Instagram. MLB 4.5, NHL 3 million. That's not good. Guys, I have to ask, the NBA laps everyone. Why is it so far ahead? They've got personalities. And the personalities, they're not afraid or ashamed to let them shine through. Uh, the, you know, the NFL, they all keep their helmets on, and they get 15 yards when they take their helmets off. <laughs> I want to give them 15 extra yards to take their helmet off because I want people to recognize faces, not just face mask bars. And the NBA, listen, it's a fine line. In the old days, I would get upset with Logan Morrison. He was early adopter of Twitter, and I would get upset and say, hey, do you think it's fun to tweet from AAA? We were going to send him <laughs> down for tweeting, and now I realize he was ahead of the game. Yeah. It's okay. We're not curing cancer here. We're trying to have fun, and the NBA does that. Yeah, the NBA is uh, is is very out in front of a lot of these things. There was a time when Twitter first hit where they didn't want you tweeting from the locker room uh, or posting Instagram and stuff like that. And I don't know if that rule's still in place. Probably like a certain amount of time before a game because they don't want gambling information gambling out there and stuff there. like that. But generally speaking, they realize what a powerful tool like social media can be and they celebrated um, the league via the social media outlets. But not only that, but these personalities and these people and these great, these great stories. And a lot of these guys like these guys aren't just great like celebrities and you follow them to see what they're wearing and what they're saying, but they're in their communities. Fun. Like doing, seeing what they're doing. Yeah. I'm just trying to get through the fact that Selena Gomez <laughs> has more Twitter followers than all the leagues combined. Fine. Selena's a bad girl. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know why. I, I don't know. She's. I do know too. why. I don't know. How Selena Gomez. I don't hate on Selena. You're like Team Kardashian. You can't hate on Selena. No, no, don't do I, don't. I don't. Kardashians have more. I don't hate on her. But, David, I have to ask, why do you think the MLB is so far behind when it comes to the social media following? We don't promote our players. We. I said we. I'm a they. See? I told, look. <laughs> I'm a oh. you. <laughs> I felt like a we and a they. We. They just, We. I did it twice. They don't promote their guys. They just don't. And we, you saw with the commissioner, Mike Trout, early on. Do you remember that? Yeah. After the All-Star game. Why isn't Trout doing more? We don't have a face of of baseball. Right now, can you name 10 of the most popular baseball players? We don't have time. Right. It's just in your head. That was rhetorical. Yeah. You can't. Right. In the NBA, I can think of right now, who do I want to follow on Instagram? Who do I want to see what they're doing? I want to see what LeBron's doing. Right. Yeah. It's depressing. <laughs> I hear you. Well. Follow, who's your number one follower? My son. Wow. Aww. Yeah. That really He's my number my one eye. follower or who do I follow? Who do you follow? Uh I follow a lot of guys that are uh, like um Gordon that, Hayward? No, I don't follow any pros. None I don't all? no my, my Instagram and, and, and I don't have a Twitter account, but my Instagram is very like I keep it very uh like trainer centric, man, and, and probably Steve Nash. I follow I mean, he's my buddy. I follow you I follow on Steve. Twitter, it's so boring. So boring. <laughs> um Anyway, we're going to throw it to break again. So up next, we've got a segment we call Leftovers now. Um, guys are losing a ton of money for various reasons. Uh, we'll break them all down next on Off the Bench with Canel and Bell. Samson. All right. Welcome back. Uh, let's get to a segment we call Leftovers now. So the Bears and uh, their first-round draft pick, rookie Roquan Smith, have agreed to a deal. He was the number eight pick. Uh, he ended his holdout by inking a four-year, $18 million uh, guaranteed deal, including an $11 million, uh, $11 million in bonuses. Uh, he was the last unsigned rookie in the league. What about it? 11 million. 18 million. He's never played it down. 
What was he waiting for? 19 and 12? Well, no, he was waiting because he had some language in, in his, uh, contract regarding this new, like, uh, these new personal foul things. And he didn't want some of that guaranteed to be able to be taken back, uh, because he was subject to one of these new kind of rules that is purely, like, subjective. And I don't know how NFL players, any of them. NFL for that. The fact that these contracts are not guaranteed. I come from a world where everything's guaranteed. Yeah. Even if you stink, you get paid. So do I. I, You didn't like that? I hated it. It was the worst thing ever. Um, dude, I, how could we be so different yet have such a good time on the air? Because I am always guarantee everybody their money. I would guarantee what? no one. This dude, this dude blows his knee out tomorrow, and you mean to tell me you're gonna take his contract away? Every and tell him? penny, because he's not helping me. Heartless. All right, so I want to another another guy who lost a bunch of money. This is the Dolphins' defensive tackle, Gabe Wright. Um, he loses out on a potential 630k uh, if he would have made the roster. He apparently punched running back. Kenyon Drake in the face and I was wondering whether this was a punch or an elbow or something but apparently he had been doing it to multiple running backs so the Dolphins just kind of cut bait with that he didn't lose it he doesn't have that right you know I like competitiveness during spring training I want players wanting to win I like clubhouse skirmishes yeah I don't like punches no, I don't want any Kermit Washingtons. Yeah, you know, oh, Rudy Tomjanovich and Kermit, that guy's jaw was never the same after that. Um, face. Yeah, but that was, like, there were reports that they were, like, doing thud type of contact, and, and this dude was just, look, you're not going to be a starting defensive tackle. Like, guys, there are always guys out there that I wonder, like, are you in touch with reality? You're not. He's, like, trying to be Rudy. What are you doing? I agree. He didn't uh, lose the money, doesn't deserve it. All right, so the Phillies, another guy who lost money, and this is going to cost Zach Eflin, uh, who was temporarily demoted. He's a pitcher for the, uh, Phillies. For the Phillies. Yeah, it's costing him 20K. They're going to send him down to the minor leagues. They optioned Eflin in order to activate JP Crawford from the DL. So he's not going to miss any starts, but it is going to cost him 20K to have to go down there. Why is it costing him 20K? He doesn't deserve it, right? That is called roster. Wait, what do you mean why is it called? Because it's costing him no, 20K. Let me explain this. When you've got options in baseball, that means that we're in charge as management and we can send you down. We don't need a reason. We don't need a season. All we have to do is say, guess what? You're going to AAA. That's it. He didn't lose twenty grand. Those are the rules. If you don't like it as a union guy, change the option rules. But don't argue with me about twenty K when it was well within my right. Robert Sarver, you'll like this story. Robert Sarver once told me I wanted an extension. He took me out to lunch. We had this big spread on the table. Um and I, he was like, Do you do you deserve an extension? <laughs> yes. Uh, am I gonna give you one? No. Do you want to know why? I was like, Yeah. He said, Because I don't have to. That's it. That's a Mike, that is a celery dropper. I would kick him in the ribs right now if he would. Would you? Yes, I would. That'd anyway, be good for your career. On to another, <laughs> so another, another basketball story. The WNBA coach, uh, from the Dallas Wings, they lost their eighth consecutive game on Sunday. Um, their head coach, Fred Williams, and their, like, owner, CEO, Greg Bibb, were seen screaming at each other in the tunnel. Gall- Dallas hadn't won a game since July 19th, but after the altercation, obviously, they fired, uh, they fired Fred Williams, so. There's gotta be more to it. I've seen altercations. I've been in altercations. Well, losing. Verbal, verbal altercations. They've only lost eight games. They haven't won since July 19th. They started 14 and 9. Now they're 14 and 7. I don't want to spread any rumors. Could there have been wife swapping? I mean, oh. what could have been going on? <laughs> One little altercation? Come on. I have altercations on the, that's a Tuesday. <laughs> right, right, right. MLB. Right. All right. Look, so last chance you, we had, we did a bonus pod last week. You could catch it on iTunes. Hey, if you watch last chance you, you like TV shows, you watch last chance on I Netflix. do not. I'm just, I'm just doing Homeland. That's what? how behind I am. Homeland. Well, tune into our, to our podcast. We'll catch you up on everything. Uh, it's, it's there. You can download it. Uh, apparently Independence College coach, uh, Jason Brown, uh, after the 
documentary came out on Netflix, says he's had over 5,000 emails in 24 hours. He's had to turn down 400 recruits. And not only that, but he's got an influx of, of female suitors that he's having to beat off with a stick all because of this Netflix uh, documentary. He's at 14 minutes and counting. <laughs> that would be my view of that. You got to check it out, man. It's a great, it's a great show. Uh, Danny and I love it as does Debo and we had fun on the pod, uh, last week tearing it up. So thanks again for hanging out with us. We'll be back tomorrow. Will you be rolling with me tomorrow as well? No, I can't, I can't do two days in a row with you. I need one day off. You're you come back me. Thursday. Thursday? All right. Tune in. Uh, David will be back Thursday. We'll argue a little bit more. That's it for us today on Off the Bench with Canell and Bell. As always, you can follow us on Twitter. Uh, subscribe to us anywhere uh, you find your podcast. Thanks again. Off the Bench with Canell and Bell. This was awesome. See ya.